I'm really excited about this series, and as, I, as I've been thinking and praying about this, uh, I normally teach because I love teaching, I love you know, bringing the Word of God to people, um, but I feel like with this series, I'm more than just teaching, even though you know, that always happens, I feel like this is a prophetic word for where we are at as a church. And so over the next few weeks, the next three weeks, I believe that this is, you need to catch hold of this, not so much just because, not only because it's the Word of God, and I think it's important that we understand the Word of God, but I think that this is a call for us as a church to understand where God is leading us. And if we are able to catch a hold of where God is wanting to lead us, I think that God's going to open up something over the second half of this year. How am I already talking about the second half of the year? But I do believe that there's a preparation that we need to go through as a church. There is a stirring that needs to happen. And so we are going to do this under the banner of the series called Birthright. Um, and birthright is a bit of a strange word, and I hope that we will, um, by, by the end of today, you'll understand why we're calling this birthright. But before we go any further, I just feel like we need to pray. So let's pray. Let's activate our spirit this morning. God, I pray that you help us to understand and to catch a hold of your word. I pray that God, that there would be a stirring, that there would be something in us that is dissatisfied uh, with just how things are right now, and God, that you are pulling us into where you want us to go. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Awesome. All right, we're going to start looking um, at Genesis 25, verses 29 to 34. So if you have your Bible, we can open it up, and let's read this really interesting story. It goes like this. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom means red. Apparently, the word for stew, I didn't actually look into this, but I heard this somewhere. The word for stew is also Edom. So literally, um, Esau said, let me eat some of that Edom, Edom. And so he was called Edom. Very original. Um, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. All right, so a couple of chapters later, we hit, obviously, Genesis chapter 27, and we read another story. And I always think that this second story is a little bit weird. This second story, go read it yourself. We are actually not going to be able to read it today because of time. Uh, But this second story is about um, Isaac, the dad. So by the way, Jacob and Esau are twins. Esau is older by a matter of minutes. He comes out first, and so he is the oldest child, and so technically he has the birthright. And now, in a couple of chapters later, Isaac is about to die. Isaac, the dad's about to die, and he wants to bless Esau as the firstborn. And so he tells Esau to go hunt and prepare this wonderful meal, and then he will bless him. However, the mum, Rebecca, hears about this, and Rebecca wants Um, Jacob to get the 
blessing instead. And so he tells, as she tells Jacob to go kill a couple of goats and um, to take the goat skin, put it over his, his arms to wear Esau's clothes, and then to dupe Isaac, who is blind, um, to give him the blessing instead. Okay, so there are these two things. And so for the longest time, I was wondering about what's the difference between the birthright and the blessing? For me, in fact, I thought that the birthright was far more important than the blessing because the birthright is his legal right, if you will, uh, for the son uh, to, um, to receive a double portion of his dad's inheritance when his dad dies. And so the, the firstborn gets this birthright. And in this situation, Esau sells Jacob the birthright, which means that when Isaac dies, Jacob gets twice as much of what Esau gets. Get it? That's the birthright. You guys don't look very excited. I guess it's not very exciting because no one here is going to be uh, distributing your will that way. Well, I argue maybe you should think about it. But anyway... <laughs> It's biblical, right? Um, and so you have this birthright, and then on top of that, Isaac is going to pronounce a blessing on Esau, which Jacob then steals. So Jacob obviously wasn't satisfied with the birthright. He also wanted the blessing, which then in my mind goes, what's the difference? Especially in our Western mindset, when someone says, bless you, it means very little. We have a habit in our our home that when someone sneezes, we say, bless you. What does that mean? Does that mean that Sam's going to get a double portion every time that he sneezes? I'll be sneezing my head off if that's the way that blessings work. So why why is there a difference between the birthright and the blessing? Why is it important for us as Christians to have both the understanding of the birthright and the blessing? You ready to go on this journey with me? Yep. Excited so far? I thought that this would be more exciting to you guys, but thank you to the three who actually want to learn this morning. For everyone else who's already thinking about how wonderful it is to nap this Arvo, you still have at least three hours before nap time, all right? Three hours. So give me half an hour, guys. And so we have this difference between the birthright and the blessing, and to understand this, we need to go a little bit deeper into how these are described in the Word of God. And we have to go right to the start in Genesis chapter 1, where God created the heavens and the earth, and then He creates humankind, and then He blesses hum- humanity in Genesis 1.28. And this is what He says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God says, be fruitful and multiply. This is a really famous phrase that we all know. Be fruitful. Uh, This was unpacked for me recently. It means to be productive. Um, And we think reproductive, but in essence, it's also to be fruitful in all that you do in the work that you do. And so God blesses humanity and says, you will flourish in your work. You will flourish in your life. You will flourish uh, in, in reproduction. And in reproduction, you will fill the earth and subdue it. This is, now, this is really quite interesting because how um, this seems to work is that God created the earth and then he creates a special place called Eden, which he places Adam and Eve in, right? And so Eden is this really special 
special, wonderful garden that is specially created by God for humanity. It has all kinds of fruit trees. It has got all kinds of animals. It's a wonderful place. God says, fill this place and then spread this place across the whole globe. Okay? And so when he says, uh, fill this place, uh, fill the earth and subdue it, he means I want you to create more of what you already experience here. Have dominion over everything. He's saying that in what you are doing, I want you to flourish in yourself, but I also want you to look after everything else so that it flourishes. The blessing of God is not for the individual, it's for the individual and then for the individual to cause other things to flourish. Without humanity, the earth does not flourish. This is the blessing of God. I want you to hear this again. Without humanity, the rest of the earth does not flourish. Now, I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to make a cool point. This is seen in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Genesis chapter 2 is kind of a retelling of creation from a different perspective. It's trying to teach us something else about how God created us and what He was trying to accomplish then. And so in Genesis 2, verse 5, this is what it says, Where no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. This is kind of a different picture. Because at this point, uh, in the Genesis 1 account, we already have all the plants created and then humanity created. However, in this account, it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So why is it different, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Because Genesis 1 is telling us that God has the power to create and He is our creator. Genesis 2 is helping us understand the purpose of humanity. All right, there's a different perspective and that's why it's told slightly differently. And so we hear that even though we in Genesis 1 hear about the Garden of Eden, there was none of that wonderful flourishing because God had not sent rain yet, and there was no man to work the ground. Are you catching a hold of what I'm trying to put forward today? Without humanity, the world does not flourish. Without you, without me, without anyone to work the ground, the earth does not flourish. The blessing of God is that we flourish, and that we cause the rest of creation to flourish. And we can see this again later in Genesis 2.15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Anyone think that gardening is a blessing? There are some weirdos <laughs> in the world that think that working the soil with its thorns and its thistles and its weird sap that makes you itchy all over is a blessing from God. Some people love it. Weirdos. How many of us would see that God placing humanity in the Garden of Eden and says, you, you are meant to tend this and to keep this. This is your job. This is your blessing. You see, many of us have this idea that the blessing that we receive is not something that we work for, it's something that was given to us. I went to the shops and I got a parking lot straight away, blessed. 
You know, I found a $2 coin at the side of the road, blessed. You know, I got a job that I applied for that I'm not qualified for, blessed. You know, we seem to have this idea that blessing is something that gets thrown our way without us working for, but the biblical definition of blessing is that yes, you flourish, but that you cause other things to flourish too. We have to understand that God blesses you because you are meant to use that blessing to bless other things, to cause other things to flourish. That is what blessing is all about. And so when we get to the Jacob and Esau story, what we need to understand is that there are two things happening here. There is the blessing of the father and the birthright of the son. The blessing of the Father is to pray and to bring the covenant of God into the Son's life so that they can and will flourish for all eternity. However, there is also the birthright that is the legal right of the Son that receives that birthright to get the double portion in order that they have the resources to lead their family. Why there was the birthright is because the birthright is resource to lead. Esau despised his authority to lead the family. This is what he was despising. That is the important thing. And we're going to look into this even further, but here's a little fun fact. See, the birthright in Hebrew is the word bakora. That's not actual Hebrew. That's just a spelling, the English spelling. And the blessing is the baracha. They are literally word plays on each other. And in Hebrew, when you see word plays, it's because they come from the same place. They are meant to be the same root. The blessing and the birthright are mirror, mirrors of each other. The blessing and the birthright go hand in hand. And so when a Jewish person was reading about the Baraka, the Baraka? The Bakora, not the Baraka, I'm not Australian. <laughs> the Bakora and the Baraka. The Bakora and the Baraka, they were understanding that they are two facets of the same thing. They go hand in hand with each other. And so this is really important because we need to understand that the blessing of God is for us to flourish and for us to lead others into flourishing. Let's just get this into our heads. The blessing of God is that we flourish and that we cause other people to flourish. Me being comfortable is not a full blessing. Me being comfortable having all that I need is not the full blessing. It's not. It is half of the blessing. And this is something that we don't use in our everyday language. And even in the Bible, I think, in, the, in terms of the culture of the Israelites, it is not something that they realize when they walked into the promised land and they managed to step into the promises of God, they personally flourished and then they started to let go of this sense of responsibility to each other. They lost the blessing because they despised the birthright. 
They lost the blessing because they wanted to individually flourish, but they lost sight of the need for the whole community to flourish. So when the new church, when the church was birthed in Acts, what does it say? They, they, had, they, had, they brought all that they had together so that there was no one in need. Why did they do that? Because they were living in the blessing of God. They were not just flourishing in themselves. They were flourishing as a community. And so this is something that we need to take a hold of. And this is a principle that I think we need to really think about. So we're going to look into Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to unpack this, um, uh, uh, this passage because it's a bit dense. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Let's just pause there for a second. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, I've been having conversations with a few people about salvation and salvation being a free gift of God. Yes, absolutely. It's a grace. I did not earn it. I did not have to work for it. God gives me salvation. However, the free gift of God doesn't mean that I possess it. The free gift of God doesn't mean that I have obtained it. It says it very clearly here. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So even though God might want to grace you, you might not be obtaining it. You might not be living in the grace of God. Really important. So how is it that we do not obtain the grace of God? This is what the author goes on to say, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I'm going to pause there again because I want to talk about this root of bitterness. Because when I was looking at it, and this was something that... I wasn't thinking was key to this message until this morning, and then I quickly looked into it, and I was like, this is completely in line with what those birds, what the heck? Um, this is completely in line with what God is wanting to communicate this morning. The root of bitterness is not about us feeling bitter and angry and frustrated. I thought that that's what it meant that we can actually miss out on the grace of God because we are bitter. However, that's not what this is referring to. The book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, was written to people that knew um, the Torah amazingly well. That's what it was meant to be for. And so the people of Israel, they were meant to read over and over and over to memorize the Torah. That was part of their culture. And what we find in Deuteronomy 29, verses 18 to 19, which is about the blessing and curses of following God. Blessing if you follow God, curses if you don't follow God. So it is all about blessing still. This is really important. This is what it says. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. The root of bitterness. So what is this root of bitterness? When such a person, a person with a bitter root, hears the words of this oath, which is this whole chapter that Moses was telling the people, this is the covenant that you are making with God. When uh, uh, such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves, thinking, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. <laughs> they will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. 
I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. The person of the bitter root is a person who is self-centered, self-focused, self-confident, and blind. That's what this is all about. How do you fail to obtain the grace of God? Part of it is when you have this kind of heart, I will be safe even though I'm doing things my own way. Oh, this is tough. This is everything our culture tells us. You have savings in your bank account, I will be safe even though I'm doing things my own way. I have built the relationships that I enjoy. I will be safe even though I'm going my own way. I persist in going my own way. We need to keep going. So that's the whole bitter root. It, it's all linked. So see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. The whole idea of defiled is not that you're just dirty, but that you are unable to come into God's presence. That root of bitterness is this independent root that causes you to fail to enter into God's presence. And then it goes on to say that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. So this is where we come back to our story. Who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, not the birthright, the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. How many people would look at Esau and say, because he sold the birthright, he is sexually immoral and unholy? That's not how I would describe Esau. I would describe him as, a, as, as hangry and a bit dumb. Yeah, agree with me? The hangry guy who just wants what he wants, when he wants, sold the birthright, which would have been the double portion inheritance, because he wanted a bowl of stew. And he said, he's a bit dramatic as well. He said, oh, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright? But here in Scripture, we find a description that Esau, because he sold his birthright, is sexually immoral. Oh, why? Because the words sexually immoral in the New Testament doesn't just refer to uh, um, being adulterous or fornicating or something like that. It means being driven by lustful desires. It's being driven by appetites that isn't focused on God. That's what this is all about. Esau is considered sexually immoral in the words of the Bible because he allowed his appetites that weren't godly to drive him. And therefore, that also makes him unholy. Other versions say godless because he was pursuing his own appetites. That's why fasting is a necessary part of our Christian walk. Why? Because we have appetites and one of the clearest appetites is for food. And so when we fast, we are saying that this appetite is not going to drive me, I'm going to drive it. This appetite is not going to take over my life. I am going to have um, uh, my, my control and power over these appetites because I want to channel them in the right direction. 
I think it is very telling that there are so many cooking shows available on Netflix. <laughs> because everyone has an appetite. But those appetites go into luxury living, into love, into relationships, into all sorts of pursuits. If you take every single kind of reality TV show that they put on the TV and you see what kind of appetites it's trying to feed, you will see all sorts of unholy appetites that is driving us to sell our birthright. And then what does it say? Because he sold his birthright, when he desired to inherit the blessing, the ability to flourish, he was rejected. Now we know that in the Bible, Jacob tricked Isaac into getting the blessing. But in the divine story, in the authorship of God, in his sovereignty, he knew that Esau would despise the birthright. And so he ensured that the blessing wouldn't come on him. I want to put this warning out here. Some of you want to be blessed and to be flourished, but you're not willing to hold on to the birthright. And when you don't hold on to the birthright, you don't get to have the blessing. When you fail to take the authority to lead others into flourishing, and you push that aside and you despise that, the ability to self-flourish is also taken away. Because they are two parts of a whole. You cannot reject one without rejecting the other. And even though Esau sought to get the blessing with tears, he would not be able to have it. Now, I can also understand that there is this thought, hang on, I don't have a birthright because I'm not the firstborn. I'm not the firstborn, I'm the secondborn. Beck's not even the secondborn, she's the thirdborn. So she doesn't even get, oh, you are, you're not the youngest. <laughs> All right, we both, but you have more siblings, which means less inheritance for you anyway. So I'm going to get more, you're going to get less in the scheme of things. The birthright is given to the firstborn. So are we all firstborns? How many here are actually firstborns? Okay, we got some double portion people around here. But isn't it weird that it's the secondborn in this story that gets the birthright? All the secondborns. All right, I'm having too much fun. In Hebrews chapter 12, just a few verses later, in 22 to 24, this is what it says. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. This is saying that you have come into the kingdom of God. This is an amazing place, a place of festal gathering. Next week, let's have a festal gathering, celebrating different cultures. And in verse 23, it says, And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. For you have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You are a firstborn in God's eyes. You see, when Christ redeemed our lives, we all became firstborns in the sense of how God sees us and wants to treat us. What we need to understand is that in God's eyes, His blessing is so sufficient that all of us are meant to get a double portion. 
But in the same breath, all of us are therefore given the authority to lead others into flourishing. You get Esau's choice. That's the crux of today's message. You have Esau's choice. You need to make Esau's choice. Because God desires that you have a birthright and a blessing, that you flourish and that you cause others to flourish. But you need to choose not to despise the birthright that God has given to each and every single one of us. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one is like Esau who sold his birthright. There are some people in this room that I feel you need to understand this. You are not flourishing because you are not caring about other people's flourishing. You are not flourishing because you've been called to lead, but you are simply trying to survive. And you're saying, I will be safe even though I persist in doing things my own way. The call to lead is given to every Christian And so don't you tell me that I'm not going to lead. God called you to lead. Don't despise your birthright, Christian. Don't despise what God has placed in your life. Don't be godless and sexually immoral. Don't be pursuing your own appetites for confidence, for security, for comfort. Be a Christian that understands that God has given you the ability to flourish, a double portion blessing, and you're meant to lead others into it. Now, one of the things that I found a couple of years ago when I was lecturing at our local Bible college, I took a leadership um, unit, and um, I asked my class at the start of the year, what is it that you want to learn? What is it that you hope to walk away from, uh, with by the end of this course? 70 to 80% of them wrote, I want to be more confident in my leadership. So many of them said, I'm stepping into leadership, but I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I think that is something that plagues Christians. Christians know how to serve, but Christians don't know how to lead. Our Christians are not confident in leading. We separated leadership from our faith. You know, Jesus, just before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples the Great Commission, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations. You're going to need to lead them into all of my ways. The Great Commission is a call to leadership in your homes, in your workplaces, in your friendship circles, in your life. And I'm not talking about position here. I'm not talking about getting the title CEO next to your name. I'm not saying you need to start your own business so that you can be your own boss. I'm saying that in the Bible's eyes, leadership is causing other people to flourish. In your workplaces, you can do that. 
whether you have a title or not. In your families, you can do that, whether you have a title or not. In your friendship circles, you can do that, whether you have a, well, you're not going to get a title in your friendship circle. <laughs> it's weird and say, oh, you're the boss. Oh, whoa. Probably means you're bossy <laughs> and no one likes you. But are you causing people to flourish? Are you taking them where they are at and saying, this is what God is saying? Are you ashamed of the gospel that brings a flourishing to every human being? Are you saying, come on, I know the truth. The truth brings freedom, it brings hope, it brings life. And I sense here this morning that there are some people that are scared of leadership. And you're scared of leadership because you are focusing on yourself. You're looking at yourself and you're going, I don't know if I've got what it takes. Maybe there's disappointment. Maybe there's something that's going on. Maybe you're too busy. Don't despise the birthright. Now, over the next couple of weeks, I want to go deeper into this topic and I want to talk about the Levites because the Levites show us a picture of how we need to prepare ourselves to lead. And I've been seeing this more and more as I've been looking to the Word of God and I think that this is a prophetic word rather than necessarily just a really good theological message. We need to prepare ourselves, church. Because there's a time and a season coming where God is looking for people to entrust with more of His blessing. And He requires people that are not just saying, flourish me, but are saying, send me. Yeah. And I, I, I discovered that there are a few songs that we sing. When I was a youth, there were songs like, send me, I will go, send me. There was this sense of like, God... You called me for something. But nowadays, it's like, oh, your grace is so great. I love it. But God's grace is that you lead. God's grace is that you cause others to flourish. God's grace is that wherever you go, people will be blessed. The blessing of God has never been individual. It's always been so that everyone else gets blessed. The oldest promise, or one of the oldest, oh, yeah, one of the oldest promises to Abraham wasn't so that he would have a nation, was that through his seed, the whole world will be blessed. We need a heart check, people. Do I come into God's presence to be blessed for myself? Or do I come into the presence of God so that when I walk out of here, I've got what I need to bless others? The natural position of a Christian that is full of faith is generous. The natural position of your life is generous if you're a person of faith. It's a natural position. The unnatural position is where our appetites steer us and pushes to hoard, to receive, to get. In that way, Jacob was more righteous than Esau. 
that he would say, lead the family? I want that. He had wrong ways about him, and we can talk about that in another whole series, but I don't even think that I want another worship song or something like that because I don't know if that is where we should go. I've been praying about how to land his message, and I think it's that God needs to speak to you, and you need to allow God to speak to you. There are people in your life that are waiting for you to be blessed to take hold of your birthright, to take away that security from yourself. Do you know why leadership causes so much insecurity? I think it's because the weight of having other people flourish is hard. But it also requires us to trust that God is calling us into that very place that you're scared of. I do the things that I do not because I'm confident in myself. I do the things that I do because God's called me and I'm confident in Him. So everyone close your eyes. Cast aside all other distraction. Holy Spirit, convict us this morning. For us who have toyed with the idea of selling our birthright, for us who have perhaps chosen to walk away from our birthright, I pray, God, that we can come to you with repentance. I pray you speak into our lives right now. You show us how you have designed us to flourish and to cause others to flourish. I pray right now that you bring people to a place of understanding how you've called them to lead into what spheres you've called them to lead, to what people they can help flourish. God, I pray against the root of bitterness. I pray against appetites that drive us away from you. And I pray rather, God, that we consecrate ourselves as a people to be ready to serve and to lead wherever you have us. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.